All right, guys, this is Michael Signorelli from my backyard. Um, listen, the birds are chirping right now. It's actually raining just light enough for me to still be outside in it. And I've got a cup of coffee and maybe even a noisily, uh, um, nasally morning voice right now. But um, I wanted to jump into the Ragamuffin Gospel. It's Brennan Manning. Um, yesterday, I did an episode with this book, and it was awesome. But I just want to let you guys know that, um, you know, really what this podcast is is my devotions out loud. So I figured I'm doing it anyway. So if I, I, I think it'd be really cool if there's some people that I admire in the faith, if they would just do their devotion out loud. I was thinking, like, man, I'd love to get in on, um, you know, like Brennan Manning's morning devotion or, um, you know, just these giants in the faith. And I haven't obtained it yet. <laughs> I'm definitely not there. But I thought, man, it would be so cool um, for some people, especially those of you who are just starting your journey or maybe those of you who are like, man, I've been in it for a while. I've been serving Christ, but I want a different perspective. And so I thought providing that perspective, just narrating my own devotional time out loud would be cool. So um, we're looking at the, the Ragamuffin Gospel. This book is just like destroyed me. Um, and I don't know if I said this yesterday, but um, this book is, is um, for some people like the centerpiece of their understanding of grace. So I want to look at grace. Um, well, I'm on actually page 78. Like if you wanted to follow along, it says grace means that in the middle of our struggle, the referee blows the whistle and announces the end of the game. We are declared winners and sent to the showers. It's over for all the huffing, puffing, piety to earn God's favor. It's finished for all the sweat-soaked straining to struggle for self-worth. It's the end of all competitive scrambling to get ahead of others in the game. Grace means that God is on our side and thus we are victors regardless of how well we have played the game. We might as well head for the showers and the champagne celebration. <laughs> it's crazy. I love it, man. I, I know I just want um, our church's celebrations on Sunday to reflect this understanding of grace. I think it's a little bit easier to be happy when you're a Christian, when you have this understanding of grace. I see a lot of people you know, um, with like a, like this, like a somber kind of like a sobriety in their Christianity. It's like, and, and a lot of that is religion and piety. And what it is, is just trying to have the appearance of godliness, like as if, you know, look at me as I struggle through this. And I mean, life is hard. There's going to be struggles, but if you can get this revelation of grace, I think there's a joy that comes out of it. And it almost makes it easier to serve God when you have this understanding of grace. Like there's a difference between um, being perfect and being perfect hearted. You know, you, you can't be perfect on this side of eternity. You know, you, you can't be perfect, but I believe that you can be perfect hearted. And, um, you know, let me, let me look at this. It says, The gospel declares that no matter how dutiful or prayerful we are, we can't save ourselves. What Jesus did was sufficient. To the extent that we are, made self, that we are self-made saints, like the Pharisees are neutral like Pilate, who ne never making the leap in trust, we let the prostitutes and publicans go first and into the kingdom while we, in Flannery O'Connor's unforgettable image, are in the background having our alleged virtue burnt um, out of us. 
the hookers and swindlers enter before us because they know that they cannot save themselves, that they cannot make themselves presentable or lovable. They risked everything on Jesus and knowing they didn't have it all together, they were, too, they were not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. Come on. Come on now. It's like all the religious people, we make all these facades. We make it more than it really is. We complicate it with religion. We have all the rules. Um, we, we have all the do-gooder uh, formats that we try to create. And as soon as people can transform into the image that we've created for them, they can arrive. And meanwhile, while we're doing this and we're making our own complications, the prostitutes, the pimps, the swindlers, the hustlers, they literally pass us up and they walk in first to the kingdom of heaven because they understand one thing. And I don't think I understood this until I was 27 years old. We cannot earn God's grace. We are never going to be good enough for it. We cannot make ourselves presentable or lovable enough. We are already loved. We are already presentable because Jesus paid the price so that we can present ourselves before the Father covered with His blood. And let me keep reading. It says, maybe this is the heart of our hangups, the root of our dilemma. We fluctuate between uh, castigating ourselves and congratulating ourselves because we are deluded into thinking that we save ourselves. We develop a false sense of security from our good works and scrupulous observations of the law. Our halo gets too tight and carefully disguised, uh, and a carefully disguised attitude of moral superiority results. Are we... Um, or we are appalled by our inconsistency, devastated that we haven't lived up to our lofty expectations of ourselves. The roller coaster ride of elation and depression continues. Oh, this page right here, page 78 and 79 in this edition that I have, our Ragamuffin Gospel, could could actually create a cultural revolution inside Christianity right now if we got it. If we got what he just said, if we could take this false sense of security of our own good works and our own observation of the law and say, I am so hopelessly and romantically lost in the love of God and so dependent on him to be good, then we would catch this revelation of grace. Now, listen to this explanation he gives. He's like, why, why are we going through this? Like, why is this our struggle? And he says, because we never lay hold of our nothingness before God, and consequently, we never enter into the deepest reality of our relationship with Him. If we can understand our nothingness before God and completely pour ourselves out. I mean, for me, especially as a minister, I've been going through this thing where God has been emptying me of myself. God has been teaching me how to keep the X factor zero so that everything multiplied by it is still zero. That Mike Signorelli is still nothing in the equation for what he's called me to do. And man, there's something in my belly and I believe it's the very love of God that cries out, make it nothing. Make it zero. Make the equation where you don't get anything out of it, Mike. Make it so that it doesn't benefit you in any way, Mike. And then truly you found my heart then. Can we lay hold of our nothingness before God so that we can fall into the deepest reality of our relationship with Him? But when we accept ownership of our powerlessness and helplessness, when we acknowledge that we are paupers at the door of God's mercy, then God can make something beautiful out of us. I don't bring anything to God, 
but I give him my brokenness and he says, okay, I can use that son. But it's when I give him my completeness or my perceived completeness that God sometimes responds, that's a joke, Mike. We both know it. We both know that you're still going to mess up tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I think there's this illusion, especially inside of modern Christianity, that we're climbing this ladder, that we're climbing this rope, that we're going to keep going higher and higher. But I think the reality is we need to keep going lower and lower. We need to keep literally becoming more increasingly aware of how, how, how much we don't understand of God, how much we don't get of God. That's how we can become children in the kingdom. That's what, how we can have such an innocent curiosity that drives us forward into the new things of God because we understand that there's so much more that we don't know in the ocean of His grand grandeur. Now let me keep reading. It says, This poverty of spirit is the second major characteristic of, um, of saved sinners with tilted halos living by grace. <laughs> what is the person... Um, what is what is the person canonized by Jesus in the first beatitude? Blessed are those who know they are poor, really like. And uh, <laughs> I just love it so much, man. I'm laughing because Brendan Manning just had this way of destroying, absolutely destroying the paradigm that um, a lot of Christians live by. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to understand while you're listening to me right now that you are not perfect, but you can be perfect hearted. And to be perfect hearted is to go back into this place of a childlike faith where you're just like, dad, I, I really can't do it. Now I'm going to have fun running around the living room pretending that, um, you know, I'm a superhero, but there's so much more that I'm going to have to look up to you and reach up and, and pray that you just grab me um, with your arms and hold me and, and dance me around this house of my life. And, and when you are a child, and I think, you know, watching, I have a two-year-old and a nine-year-old, and they're in two very different distinct stages of um, two very distinct stages of childhood, and, but I'm able to make these observations as a father and, you know, there's this simultaneous independence and dependence. So there's things that they want to do on their own, and then there's things that they come to me. And they and I think that that's the hallmark of what it means to be a child is understanding that you've got to get up and do what God's called you to do, that you've got to run toward the roar, that you've got to make um, the impossible possible through your mustard seed faith. But then there's this other side of, of that's the depend the independence and then the de- the dependence of the childlike faith is to be like but in all of that accomplishing i am still just a kid in your house and you are still paying the bills and and the the, the mortgage and and the heat and the water and all that stuff is flowing from you because i'm still a kid and I think you have this, this great understanding of how little of your life you're controlling um, when you're completely submitted to God. And that's liberating. And there's a security in that. And I think the root of a lot of religious Christianity is follow, fatherlessness. I think the root of a lot of religious Christianity is um, people not knowing how to trust their dad. People not knowing how to look at Abba and say, Abba, I belong to you. You alone are my source for these things. And, and so out of that, when you don't have that trust as a religiosity that's born because you're like, okay, well, I can do it. I can set this structure up and I can make this and I can make that and I can do this. And, and it's the complete opposite of a relationship. And so to me, um, what I really want to impress on you today 
uh, just in this short time that we've talked and I've kind of taken you through a little bit of my devotion and narrated it out loud, is that you are loved by a father. You can be a child in his house And if you get a revelation of how powerless you really are, you will fall into the deepest love that you've ever experienced in your life. And don't let the hustlers and prostitutes and pimps walk first into the kingdom of God because they understand how 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 impossibly um, you know good that that how impossible it is for them to be good. You know, um, you can realize that right now and say, God. And this is the prayer that I prayed at 27 years old after discovering that my dad um, had died of Huntington's disease and looking at the prospect of there being a 50% chance that I was going to die of the, the, the disease um, before I was the age of 60. And, um, you know, through all that fear, through all that, um, you know, the carnage that resulted, um, I finally got to this place where I said, God, I can't be good. I've uh, drank myself into a high-function alcoholic Um, I've completely lost my family. My wife is gone now. My house is empty and my daughter is with her and doesn't know why dad can't pull it together. And I prayed this prayer and it was a very simple prayer. I said, God, and this is after being uh, a pastor for years in through my 20s. I said, God, I can't be good. I can't be all that you want me to be. I can't figure this out on my own, God. And I never realized until this moment that I was running off of good works and I was running off of my own power and I was running off of my own religiosity and what I thought it meant to be good. But God, today I surrender everything to you. And you are Abba. You're my Father. You're the, you're the God paying the light bill. And when you determine when the lights get shut off, you determine when my life ends. You have numbered my days, God. And I'm not going to hold anything back from you. I can't determine how I'm going to die. Maybe I will die like my dad, but I don't have to live like my earthly dad. I can live like you. I can live like you want me to because you've empowered me through your son, Jesus. And so with this 15-minute devotion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to determine in your heart. Some of you listening may have uh, diseases that you're going to die of. Um, God in His sovereignty knows this. The real freedom isn't the freedom from that disease. It's the freedom from eternal damnation. It's a freedom from death forever. Because every single person that Jesus healed in the Bible still died. They still died. And so what was the real freedom? What was the real liberation? What was the real hallmark of love? It was being able to spend eternity with Him. It's being able to have a glorified body that's never going to die. And so you can determine how you're going to live. That's the real freedom of choice that we have. Now, I do believe that God will heal your body. I've seen supernatural miracles. But see, the real heart of worship says, God, just like Job, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are doing something, shifting and moving something inside the hearts of those who are listening right now. Give them a heart that will say, Abba, I'm yours. Heal their bodies. Touch them right now. I believe that miracles are happening right now, even as this prayer is rippling through um, their entire body. But God, give us first and foremost a heart that says, I will worship you no matter what. And I'm not trying to be good. I'm trying to be your son or your daughter. And you will make me good through your loving kindness and through your mercy and through your grace. (laughs) All right, guys, I love you. That's it, man. 
I'll see you the next time. Make sure that you subscribe on iTunes. Make sure that you comment on SoundCloud and repost it. And I'll see you guys tomorrow.